The Museum of Illusions in Los Angeles has seven rooms called the Upside Down House. You're not actually upside down. That's the, that's the tricky part. You're not actually upside down. It's the world around you that has become upside down. So when other people look at you, when they look at these pictures that you've brought home, they buy into the illusion that you're the one who's upside down. Even though it's the world around you that has become upside down. And when people see these images of you, they might think you're strange, hanging out upside down. They might even think you're crazy. And what, I, what I'm going to talk about today, and what Amanda's going to be talking about today, it's going to sound upside down. It might sound strange. It may even sound crazy. And that's because as we jump into the ways of Jesus, many of his ways sound upside down in comparison to the ways of the world. Jesus said things like, by giving up your life to serve others is actually how you gain life. He said things like, to receive more, give more away. That's so backwards. The way to be first is to make yourself last. Isn't that upside down? But a lot of his teachings, a lot of his ways sound upside down. But as we learn to listen to Jesus, as the Holy Spirit guides us into his truth, we begin to see that Jesus' ways, in fact, are right side up. And it's the ways of our world and our culture that have been upside down all along. And that's what I hope happens to us today as we jump in, as we jump into this talk called The Ways of Purity, about God's design for our bodies and our sex and our sexuality. And it's going to sound backwards and it's going to sound upside down to everything else we've ever learned or been taught by the world out there. It's going to sound backwards to the music we listen to and to the videos that we see and to what our friends say. And my hope is that the Holy Spirit would guide us today to his truth. I'm going to present some information and you will have the opportunity to do with that information what you choose. The choice is yours. And like Nicole said, if you have kids in here today, instead of their age-appropriate programs, they're about to learn some stuff. So here we go. We're going to start by looking at the words of Jesus about sexual purity from one of his most famous teachings known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is recorded in the book of Matthew. Matthew was a friend of Jesus. He wrote down the things that Jesus said, and here's one of them. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That sounds right, right? You have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, anybody know what he's talking about right there? No, okay, we don't know. Well, we're going to find out. Cut it off and throw it away. It wasn't stealing. <laughs> For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. A couple things here, a couple things here. That's like a big, heavy verse. And remember, Jesus said that. We're like, oh, Pastor Luke, he said some stuff I don't like. No, hang on. Jesus said it first. I'm just reiterating it. 
couple things. If this verse were to be taken completely literally, all the men here today would be blind and have no hands by the time they were 14 years old. So that is one of the ways we know Jesus is really trying to tell us some really important stuff here, but I'm not sure he's being literal. Here's what I do think. I think he's trying to say with this figure of speech, we need to take sin and sexual sin real serious. Let's do whatever it takes to become free from it. Let's take it real serious. And Jesus is making a point that when it comes to sexual purity, when it comes to lust and adultery and fornication and all these things that the scriptures call sexual sin, Here's what I think he's saying. It starts in the smallest of ways. I think that's what Jesus is really saying here. It starts in the smallest of ways. It starts with a thought. If entertained would lead us to actions. Okay, here's an example. Married people in the room. You don't just wake up one day in another person's bed. You don't just wake up one day like, oh, it happened. I had an affair. Whoops. It doesn't happen like that. It starts with a look. And Allowing your mind to entertain the thoughts of fantasy. And that leads us down paths that we never intended to go. We find ourselves, because of our minds, we find ourselves eventually in places that we actually never intended to go. And I think this is why Jesus is saying, you've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I'm saying, don't even look and don't entertain with your mind, you see, it starts in the smallest of ways. And the second thing I think is worth noting here about what Jesus said is Jesus is recorded actually multiple times through scripture referencing hell as an actual place. Let's not overlook that point. Okay. With this teaching that Jesus gave, it seems that the first century Christians a couple thousand years ago, they struggled with sex. They struggled with lust, just like we do here still today. So here's the first question we're going to explore. Why the dysfunction regarding our sexuality? And I think it's because there's actually a spiritual brokenness that leads us to a dysfunction in our sexuality. So to explore this, we need to go back, way back to the beginning. In Genesis, it tells us that in the beginning of creation, God created everything good. Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, you know, they walked around naked and they felt no shame. No shame. Walking around naked. Uh, when your kids were little, did they ever run around the house naked? Always? Like all the time? Now, we had a streaker in our house. And one of our children, we would get them out of the bath and help dry them off. And they would just take off running. And they would run through the house naked. No shame. The older this person gets, the more awkward it becomes. It's not me, I swear. <laughs> Innocence is completely unaware and unashamed. When it comes to their bodies, innocence is unashamed. And this is how it was for Adam and Eve before sin was brought into the world. There was no shame in our bodies. There was no shame. There was innocence. But after the fall of mankind, after sin entered our world the, and the hearts of humans, Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve, they became aware of their nakedness. They're like, oh, shoot. And you know what they did when they became aware of their nakedness? They had shame and they hid and they actually tried to hide from God. And this is where the distortion, the dysfunction 
around our bodies and around sexuality, it's where it all started. It stems from our deep-rooted spiritual brokenness. And that spiritual brokenness, it's fractured. So many aspects of God creation, God's creation, including sex. There is spiritual brokenness. There's also cultural brokenness. In Romans chapter 1, it speaks to this downward spiral that we can get into when we turn away from God. When we say, God, I know you say to do something this way. I'm going to try it another way. I'm going to pursue my own way. And God allows us to pursue those things as that's what you really want to do. Okay. And so we pursue our sinful desires. And then those desires, they actually, they lead us somewhere. And we're told when we begin exploring sexual freedom, like our culture and our music and our entertainment tells us to do, and and we're told to believe that we're now more free and more liberated. You are a liberated woman. You are a liberated man. And and besides that, nobody tells me what to do. And, And that's how we think and we operated. Are we really more liberated? Are we really more free? What if we're actually becoming more enslaved, more addicted, more in bondage to our desires? And we see this bondage throughout our culture right now. From the widespread prevalent use of pornography to the casual sex hookup culture, you can even do it through an app, to open marriages, gender confusion, so much more on this issue. Culture tells us we'll be so much more free. We'll be liberated from all the constraints of traditional sexuality or Christian sex. You were made to believe that Christian sex is boring, and my wife can tell you it's not. Right, babe? And it doesn't have to be. Did you know God invented sex? Like the, the God who made your body and your parts. And <laughs> there are things he knows you can do. I bet you haven't even learned yet. Okay, Christian sex is not and was never meant to be boring. And if it is, it's because you've made it boring. You're bored because you're a boring person, all right? That's what my mom used to say, not about my sex life, but I mean about when I was, never mind. Yeah, this is going great. Somebody turn off his microphone. What has all this freedom produced in us? What has all this sexual liberation produced in us? What has it given to us? Where has it brought us as a society? Who have we become? Because of it. Did you know, here's a couple facts. Um, There's more online porn pages than there are people in our country. That's a lot. I can remember the first time I saw pornography. I was eight years old. I was playing at the beach, right here, Imperial Beach. And I was climbing on the rocks. You know the rocks that they put between the houses and the sand? I was climbing on the rocks and I found this cave and I went inside one of them and there was sand on the ground and as I was shuffling my way through, I pulled out a manila envelope. I thought I had found some treasure. It wasn't treasure, but it was booty. (laughs) 
And I opened, I crawled out of the cave and I opened this envelope and pulled out a Hustler magazine. And all my friends ran over and ripped it out of my hands and they opened that magazine up and my eight-year-old eyes could not comprehend what I was seeing. I had heard rumors you could do those kinds of things, but it did not compute when I saw it on paper. And thankfully, one of our moms ran over and took the magazine away from us. When I was growing up, access to pornography was difficult and it was rare. That is not so today. Nowadays, we have an entire generation who has 24-7 access to porn. It is shaping us. It's shaping our culture. It's shaping the way that we treat each other, mostly through misogynistic and abusive images and videos of men treating women poorly. The average age today of someone being exposed to hardcore pornography, not nude images, the average age today of a child being exposed to hard, hardcore pornography is 11 years old. That's when, it, that's when it's happening to our children, 11 years old. Sexuality, as it's understood and mimicked in our culture today, is harming us. It's producing shame. It's causing confusion in our children. It's wreaking havoc on our marriages. It's enslaving us to addiction. And it's bringing all kinds of regrets and hangups in our lives. We all should ask this question. If you have a child and if they have a phone, does that phone have access to the internet? Because if it does, they have all the access they need to all the pornography they could ever want. And there are settings where you can remove the internet from those phones. Let's not be parents who are unknowingly giving our children access to pornography and even ourselves. There are boundaries, healthy boundaries that we can put in place. So what do we do? Well, that's a problem. What do we do now with that? Is there a better way? Is there a more healthy way? How do we develop a biblical understanding of sexuality and purity, what would happen if we were to actually be brave enough to follow God's plan for our lives when it comes to our sexuality? Well, to answer this incredibly difficult question, I've brought in Dr. Pavich. Take it away. Thank you so much. I get the difficult part. <laughs> but... You notice my cute little my-sized podium now? Did you guys notice? So I'm not like peeking over the top, right? So this will be great. You'll actually get to see my whole face. Well, there is a beautiful rhythm to the, I guess, the natural order of the way that God created us and the world around us. And when we flow with that rhythm, it is an utterly delightful life. Now, the Hebrew word for that is called shalom. Now, literally translated, it's peace, but it is so much more than that. It means on earth as it is in heaven, everything, everyone working together for the purposes of God, for the love of God, for his glory. And that is shalom. Now, when we resist that flow, 
perhaps because we have engaged in sexual sin or some other type of intimate sin. That is why we can feel fatigue, why we can feel bodily pain, uh, we feel emotional brokenness, uh, heartbreak, all of those negative things, but we also sort of feel a little bit of a disconnect from, if it's not God, it's just sort of the greater sense of well-being. Now, that is why the Bible has a lot to say about this topic, because sin, in the case of sexuality and intimacy, is different than other sins. Now, it's not because God hates it more, and it's not because if you engage in this that God isn't going to forgive you. That is not the case. But sexual sin is different than other sin because of the depth with which it impacts us. Now, as Pastor Luke laid out very well, our culture is very good at minimizing this impact. And they do it through very catchy, good-sounding slogans like, my body, my choice. Right? My body, my choice. And we hear that on the surface and we say, absolutely, yes, because... Physical autonomy is the beginning of freedom. But you see, 2,030 years before, there was a my body, my choice that was the cause of freedom, and that is Jesus' body and Jesus' choice, his body broken for you, his choice to lay down his life for his friends. And if you are hearing me today and you have decided to follow Jesus, if you're hearing me later on the podcast and right this second, even if you've never decided before and you've said, yes, right now, I am going to agree with you. I'm going to follow Jesus. He considers you a friend. Make no mistake. No matter what you have done, no matter what your mind is telling you, you are his friend. And when he laid down his life for his friends, for you, we are restored to that relationship with God, we're restored to the intimacy with God so that we can get the mind of God, so that then we can know what intimacy is with other people and very specifically what intimacy is with our one beloved. Now, once we understand how intimacy works, you know, with the one who designed the machine, the one who made the manual, right, once we understand it his way, then... We can make choices that are much more informed, they're much more intelligent, and they're much more aligned with the Jesus way. Now, we may be going against the current of the culture when we make those choices, but we are moving with the flow of who God designed us to be. You see, we make a physical choice with spiritual consequences. And that is how we create what we're calling a Christian ethic with regards to a very specific topic. And in this case, we're talking about sexual intimacy. And very similar to this conversation today, in the first century, the Apostle Paul was helping the church at Corinth create a biblical ethic around sexuality. Now, the reason that this was needed, this specific exchange with the church at Corinth was because Corinth was located in the dead center of the Greco-Roman world. And at that particular time, there was a much 
different understanding of the connection between our bodies and our spirituality, the physical body and the, spirit, uh, the spiritual world. But also there was a civic sort of cultural part of it that factored in. So much so that they had formalized religious centers where prostitution was the sacred act. And that prostitution was done by both men and women of all ages. So in this letter that we are going to be unpacking in a minute, Paul is really speaking as a father of the faith, as a really loving friend. And he's bringing some truth and healing to a broken worldview that his friends had about their bodies and intimacy that was based on the culture that surrounded them. So I think there's going to be a lot that we can learn today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation because it's kind of an everyday life translation and it'll be pretty easy to understand. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power just as he raised the Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? That's the cultural piece he's talking about. Never, no. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scripture says the two are united into one. That's just like Pastor Luke was talking about in Genesis 2. There was one, and then there were two. The woman was formed from the man. And then when they come back together, they become one again. Sexual, it says, no other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one does because sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. It's a sin against you. Don't you realize that your body is actually the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now, from this one section of scripture, right, we get a pretty complete and robust Christian ethic on our bodies and sexual intimacy. And I think that it's just as different for us in our culture as it was for the first century followers of Jesus and their culture. So as we're developing this Christian ethic of sexuality and our bodies, I think right away we saw something in this piece of scripture that I think if we really sort of think about it for a moment, I think we know already that it's true without even having read that scripture. And that is is that intimacy and sexuality are holistic. They involve the whole person. It's physical, yes, but it's also our emotions are at play, our mind is at play, and, and there is a spiritual element to it as well. Now, I'm going to be using the amplified version to illuminate a couple of points here in this passage of Scripture as we're developing this ethic of our bodies and sexuality. And the first one is this in verse 13. Our bodies are a sacred trust, and they are connected to Christ. 
in verse 15. So verse 13 from the Amplified, it says this. It says, the body is not intended for sexual immorality, but it is intended for the Lord. And then this is the part that this translation leaves out. It says, and the Lord is intended for the body to save, sanctify, and raise it again. And then later in 15, it says, do you not see and know that your bodies are members, bodily parts of Christ, the Messiah? The person who's united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You see, we were created in the image of God. We were created to crave good things. That's why we were given taste buds and eyes and nerve endings on our skin, okay? God didn't have to create us this way, but he did. He chose to. There's actually a neurological function that happens when we experience goodness And it says, ooh, this is good. I want more. That's natural. But the problem is, is that cheap imitations of goodness are so abundant that we forget what true goodness is. It's kind of like the analogy of, like, a candy bar that you might, like, grab at the checkout counter from Target, right, versus a five-course feast with the Lord. It's like the contrast between that, right? So that piece of candy, that, that even if it's a beautiful piece of chocolate, right, it's wrapped in a really expensive wrapper, and they make it look really, really good and delicious, right? And it is. It tastes good. It tastes sweet. I mean, who doesn't like chocolate, right? So good. But the problem is, is that there's another switch in your brain, and it's called the satiety switch. And our bodies were chosen by God to crave nutrition and what we need for our bodies to actually function holistically. So if that nutrition is not satisfied, it's not satiated, it's not full, that switch doesn't go off. And so that's why when we're eating a candy bar, like we kind of end up eating the whole thing. Or for me, I'm not a sweets person, but it's like a bag of chips. I like Fritos. Like, I really eat the Fritos, the whole thing, okay? Like, but I can eat that bag of Fritos, and then afterwards, it is a holistic experience because you eat a whole bag, and you're still hungry. You don't feel good, do you? You've eaten, like, a whole big bag of candy. It feels gross. Physically, we feel bad. But then also, we start beating ourselves up emotionally, don't we? Because we know we shouldn't have done that. We know this is bad for us that we know this is not what we intended to do. But then there's also sort of a disconnect because we start feeling ashamed. Like, you know what, I don't think that God would like me doing this. And so we kind of end up in the pantry with that Snickers bar. Now contrast that with something like this. Look at that table. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it is a feast. It is colorful. It's abundant. It's overflowing. It has nutrition. Look at all of those beautiful, nutritious things and also some indulgences. But the biggest difference here is that this isn't something that you find hiding in a pantry. This is out in the open. And when you feast from this table, the table that God sets, you get that satiety switch flipped off. 
Because once you are full, once you have engaged in what God intended with your beloved, you are satisfied. And then what we're able to do is we are to take that fullness, take that nutrition, take that goodness, and we're able to look up now and say, you know what, where in the world do I need to help? What can I do to help? And that is how our physical intimacy attaches with the larger body of Christ. Good health and sexual purity are integral parts of glorifying God. They are integral parts of fulfilling our full purpose on this planet. Now, the second point that I want to highlight as we're developing this ethic is that our bodies are the home of the Holy Spirit and that they are a gift. I'm going to read verse 19. It says this. I love this. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, who you have received as a gift from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, purchased with a preciousness and paid for, made his own. You were made God's own. So then honor God and bring glory to him in your body. Our bodies are holy because they are the holder of the Holy Spirit. If you have decided to follow Christ, we talked about this a few weeks ago, you have a cup on the inside of you, a vessel on the inside of you, and that is where the Holy Spirit goes and fills up and resides And that's what makes us holy. I know sometimes we don't always feel like our bodies are a gift. I know I don't. Sometimes my body fails me. Sometimes I wake up and I look in the mirror and I'm like, ooh, girl, that's rough. Um, But it is a gift because I want to show you, I want to give you a peek into how God views the holiness of our bodies. And I want to use a scripture that is very often taken out of context. And that is 1 Peter 3, 7. I'm going to read from the ESV because it is a literal translation and I want every word in this. It says this. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, there's a lot that we could unpack here, but I want to focus in on the words that probably made you go, And that's weaker vessel, the weaker vessel. Because he's saying something a little bit differently here. There's more to this story. Now, behind me, they're going to go ahead and flip up a picture of what we call terra siglata. And this is a piece of Roman fineware. This is actually in the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Which is funny because it's not terribly modern. It was actually created during the time when Peter was writing this. Now, Terra Siglata is stunningly beautiful, is it not? I mean, first, this is, un- look, how be- look how fine it is. Look how fine that beautiful inscription is. But you see, in order to create this beautiful piece of fineware, you have to use clay that is so pure that it doesn't break up at the very high temperatures that this has to be fired at. And when it's fired at those very high temperatures, it almost becomes metallic. It becomes so strong and also so expensive. So you see, in the first century, they didn't use terra siglata for their toddlers to eat grapes off of. 
They didn't use it for their everyday knocking around wear. It wasn't used like a greasy paper plate that you just kind of throw away. It was used for the best occasions, for the holiest days, for the most fun feasts. So you see the way that God views the holiness of the female is not as the weaker vessel, but as holy and set aside for a specific purpose. So women, if you do not feel like that, if you have been made not to feel like that, I want you to know that this is the truth. This is the way that God feels about you. You are holy and set aside for a specific purpose. And we have honorable men in this world that will treat you that way. The reason that this particular passage is explained in the context of a husband and a wife is because this is actually what we were made for. Intimacy, true intimacy. To be known fully, spirit, soul, and body. And to know another person fully, spirit, soul, and body. That's what we were created for. That is the gift from God. Now, there's a couple of things that play into our discussion today from some of the other conversations that we have had along the Jesus way. And there are three facts that I want you to add to this, okay? The first one is this, something to remember. His ways are not our ways. They're not our ways. His ways are higher. And you are invited into a higher life. You are invited into a higher calling. You are invited in to be higher than the culture around you. Number two, we are not developing this worldview of our bodies alone. We're not doing this alone. We're doing this in community, and we are doing this with the help of God. His word is right here. All the wisdom that you could possibly want is right here. There's a translation for everybody. Everybody can understand it. It's free. All we have to do is open. It's right here. And the last thing is just this, that we're not living this out. We're not required to muster this out on our own. We have that gift of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to live this high life. God wouldn't call us to a life that he has not empowered us to live. I want to read from Galatians 5.22. This is the message version. But what happens when we live God's way? What happens? He brings gifts into our life, much the same way that fruit appears in the orchard. I love that. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. In other words, shalom. Now, you may be sitting here today and you're thinking, gosh, you know what? I just, I really, I really didn't know this. I really honestly didn't know that this is the way that God felt about this. And my choices have reflected that. Or you may be sitting here saying, you know what? I, I kind of did know this, but I did some other things anyway because I wanted to or because I didn't think it was that important. And I, I want you to know that you're going to be okay. It is going to be okay. And the reason you're going to be okay, because the act of repentance is so simple. 
All we have to do is just say, you know, I didn't know, but now I do, and I'm going to make a different choice. Or, yeah, I did know, and I decided not to, but I'm going to live differently now because it's time. But we don't have to do that alone because we can invite the Holy Spirit in to empower us to live out that change and also to be our friend, to face whatever consequences that we need to live out, whatever that is, as a result of changing the way that we're living, being into that high life rather than that low life. And we may need some help doing this because you and I, we all know to be true that it is so much easier to just eat that bar of candy than it is to stop eating that bar of candy once you have had that sweet taste. Now, there's a story of a friend of ours that we want to share with you. It's a very brave story, and it really wraps up everything that we're trying to say here in real time. Her name is Monique, and she's going to be sharing with you how she is encountering God's love and healing in this area. So let's watch. I'm Lori Monique, and I am part of this beautiful East Lake Church community. I currently go to the campus in Mexico. We have two of them now, uh, Playas and Sonarillo. I got two kids, a 14-year-old that towers over me, and uh, my sweet daughter who is 19. The idea of sexual purity to me in my early 20s, for example, was have fun, do whatever you pretty much feel like doing this weekend. Oh, one guy one day, one guy another day, you know, just ask for forgiveness on Sunday. And it was one of those things where you don't realize that you're in this cycle of exposure until you get to a point to where you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you don't recognize yourself anymore. How did you, how did you get here growing up Christian my whole life? How did I get to a point where I freely gave my body away? I was married before. Um, this relationship with a godly man that I thought, this is it. This is someone who I love and loves me and loves the Lord. And ironically, that relationship ended because my husband was unfaithful. And I decided at that point, walking away from the marriage that hurt me, that I had hopes of, of being in, I decided to be single. I stayed single purposefully for five years. So when I finally decided to date someone again, the first conversation ever that I had with this individual was that infidelity is a non-negotiable. I just, I knew I couldn't go through again what I had already gone through. We had very different definitions on what purity meant. Purity as an individual, but also purity together and as, as a couple. I had to end that relationship because of infidelity. Because this person broke their word. Because this person thought it was okay to watch soft porn. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought to myself, again? Like, I'm here again? So here I am in my lowest moment. I mean, lowest moment. <laughs> Not showered. Probably hadn't eaten in days. On the floor, 
as, as low as I could physically possibly get in my lowest moment. And God met me there. I decided like, yes, like whatever you say now going forward, and not that what he had said before didn't matter, but you just don't say yes, you don't dive in. And God doesn't seek perfection, he just wants the yeses. And when I said yes, all these little doors started opening up. He gave me the grace, he gave me the strength, he gave me the courage to say, hey, you have to be honest with yourself. You need some help. I couldn't do it by myself anymore. So I picked up the phone and I called someone. And I said, I need help. And I got medical attention. I started seeing a counselor. I joined a growth group. I got honest with people. I shared the parts of my life that were embarrassing. He has surrounded me with people that I never thought were gonna be in my life. A community of people that have extended grace. A community of people that have shown up, me in my robe, in my tears with a cup of coffee and say, hey, I'm here to sit with you in this darkness. I'm not trying to fix your problems. I'm not, I'm not trying to give you advice. I just wanna be here with you. Coming out of the places that I've been and not too far out where I could still feel the wounds, I've had to reevaluate what this idea of sexual purity means. Not just relationally on, on what I hope through fidelity, but truly being all in and saying yes to God because at the end of the day, He has what's best for us. And that's why there is grace. And that's why there is community. And that's why I love the church people that I'm surrounded by that He's placed in my life because I know that through Him, truthfully, I, I wouldn't have gotten out of that hole. All of us have these hurts and these habits and these hangups in this past. I know that I do. And the reason we speak about this day isn't to dig up the past. It's not to try to make anyone feel guilt or shame. It's quite the opposite to say, there's true freedom. There's true liberation in learning and walking out the ways of Jesus in our lives. In this church, it's okay not to be okay. Welcome, fellow strugglers. Can we all look and follow Jesus together? That's what this place is. We don't hide from God. We run towards him. And sometimes God puts other people in our lives and we need to let them in because they can help us find forgiveness and healing and freedom. So just go ahead and turn to the person next to you and share your deepest, darkest sin. I'm joking, don't do it. But let's not hide. Let's not hide, let's heal. Let's find healing together. I'm gonna read one last scripture where Paul is reminding these first century Christians a lot about what we spoke about today and to say that even though we've had a past, that's not our past anymore. Or even though we've been living this way, we can decide to stop today 
we could shift, we could change, we could begin following Jesus, we can find true freedom in him. Let me read it to you, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you need reminding that the unjust have no share in the blessing of the kingdom of God? Don't be misled. A lot of people stand to inherit nothing of God's kingdom, including those whose lives are defined by sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, sexual deviance, theft, greed, drunkenness, slander, and swindling. Some of you used to live these ways, but you're different now. And you've been washed clean and set apart, restored, set on the right path in the name of the Lord Jesus, the anointed, by the spirit of our living God. You used to be that way. You don't have to have guilt anymore. There is no more shame. Run around naked. Maybe not that, but you don't have to have shame. You don't have to live in shame of your past or maybe you're like, this is my present. Like Amanda said, choose today. Now I know. Now I will follow Jesus. Perhaps not perfectly. So get up again and again and again, as many times as it takes. Return to Jesus again and again and again and live your life that way. Become a quicker repenter than you used to be. That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity isn't, I don't sin anymore. Spiritual maturity is, now when I fall, I just get up faster than I used to. I begin following Jesus again faster than I used to. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. And each of us can take a step into that today. God can do all of this for you. Trying to behave our way into purity, that feels downright impossible. Purity is what Jesus gives to us. It's what he does for us when we choose him. He washes us clean, he sets us apart, and he restores us to God through the strength of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. And you better believe tonight, I'm bringing a charcuterie board to bed, honey, okay? Because I want to be full and satiated and salivated and all those words that you used tonight, and you can too. I want to invite you to stand with me and we're going to sing a song together. This song is called Greater Still. And it speaks to the truth that God's love is greater than any of our sin. He meets us right where we're at in our sin, our habits, our struggles, our hurt, the pain of our past. He doesn't push us away. And I know that this topic can bring up pain. That's not the intent. The intent is to say, now we know, and let's run towards freedom together. And Jesus will continue to forgive us along the way. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that this is a difficult, difficult way to live. But we know that living in ways that honor you, they bring rewards. They bring freedom. They bring happiness, true and lasting joy. God, would you help us to live your way? And when we fall, would you help us to get up quicker than we used to? Would you help us to push off the shame, push off the guilt, and run towards you, our loving Father, again and again 
And again, help us in this by your power, Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.